0: Today we're going to begin exploring uh, the subject of trauma and um, I just want to remind you that if uh, you have trauma in your background or even if you don't but there's a lot of emotional stuff going on. or a trigger something for you, just know how to take care of yourself today. That might mean communicating with myself or Caitlin. It might mean um, staying in the room and just kind of like keeping your attention in the room, but also maybe just taking out your page and drawing, doodling, lying down, going for a walk, whatever you need. And also, none of that might be applicable. You might just be really happy. Um, when I was teaching recently with uh, Paul Haller he told me this story about uh, studying with Katagiri Roshi and one day just having this really important question that came up for him Um, have you had that yet? has anybody had that? I don't mean a question about like should I stay or should I go (laughs) but you know sometimes like there's a really important question that comes up for you and you might even realize it's the same question you had when you were nine or twelve or something and so he he went to Katagari Roshi and sat down with him and asked him this question and Katagari Roshi just sat with him didn't say anything and after a while Paul started feeling kind of impatient is he going to come up with something really profound and he's just waving and Category where she just sat and sat and so. sat. So that was the story. Um, should we shut the windows? I, I think the, I think the sound mostly comes <clears throat> in, in this direction here. <sighs> Anyways, um, I mentioned this story to start off our day because. Uh, you know a lot of us as we explored yesterday are so used to using the cognitive mind to kind of solve life (coughs) and um, we forget sometimes that there are experiences that we can be with that um, uh, can be healed can be softened can be related to um, not just from our thinking mind And as people who are training in facilitation, it's important to remember, and I also mentioned this yesterday, that for some people, the idea that you don't have to think your way into something is inconceivable. Mm -hmm. So some basic um, thoughts about trauma. The first is that trauma is incredibly widespread throughout society. And nowadays it's coming into consciousness, I think, that more people are traumatized than we realize. And that there's a huge physical and emotional cost to carrying trauma, personally and also culturally. And it affects the background or the the fabric of our lives also because it really affects how we relate to other people. And of course, there's a lot of misunderstanding about trauma. We tend to think that trauma is in the painful experiences that happen to us. But trauma is actually a wound or a shock uh, Or an injury. It doesn't refer to the event per se. It refers to the effect of the event. The consequence of the event on us. Which is karma. When there's an action, it has a consequence. And sometimes the consequence creates pain and fear that is so unbearable. And most of that inability to bear what we're feeling is related to our age, our background, our karma, and of course, our social support. And when someone feels unbearable pain, which I'm sure everybody here has felt at some point in their life, um, it feels like your life is at risk. So the body and mind and heart have to set up various systems in order to bear pain. And when this happens, we enter a new world that wasn't the world that we had before we enter a trauma world or a trauma body. It's like we shift into a new life and our new life feels very different and we get used to that difference very quickly. And what happens in this new world is the scarring that we have um, has tremendous power. It's interesting, in Sanskrit, there's a word, samskara which is where we get the English word, scar. Sam means to come together. And kara comes from the root, kur, which is where you get the word karma. So the coming together of karmic activity. And I think scar is a really great way of understanding karma. Right? Is ever like a scar is not always a bad thing, it's a trace, you see. So the coming together of these traces. So, you know, there could be a car accident, and the car accident meets a person who has very little social support. The car accident meets somebody who's sensitive, um, um in ways someone else might not be sensitive you see there's all these I could go on and on but all these factors you see come together and they're different for every single person and it's not just the pattern of the person but it's pattern it's the ecology of the person the social support the the socio-economic life of the person um, their digestive system, their immune system their family life So, this morning, I want to talk about trauma in a way that's more personal for us, rather than, like, what do you do with somebody who's traumatized? So, I want to explore three different factors of trauma. The first is, three different factors in the trauma world. So remember what I was saying, is when there's trauma, you enter a new world that we can call like the trauma world, let's say. And the first characteristic of the trauma world is an embodied, visceral, somatic fear of re-traumatization. If you want to just sum up, fear. (laughs) But it's a specific kind of fear. It's the fear of being traumatized again. The second, and I'm going to go into these in great detail, but the second is um, dissociation. In order to deal with what's unbearable, we split in ourselves. We dissociate. We we, we have to, to compartmentalize. And this is our biological and psychological strategy for coping with what we can't cope with. So in a way, dissociation is actually a a mechanism that's a healing mechanism. Like if you didn't dissociate, um, you'd come apart. And the third characteristic of a trauma is um, shame. So before I kind of break these down, It's important to understand that this isn't conscious. Like, there's no conscious decision to be fearful. There's no conscious decision to dissociate. There's no conscious decision to feel shame. You don't choose it. Second thing that's important to remember is that most of these patterns are not accessible to language. So you can't talk to yourself about the fact that this is happening. It just happens. You can talk to yourself from a perspective of being identified with those symptoms, but you can't talk to yourself about the construction of that or how dissociation just happens. You're just dissociated, you see. So, So this is really important. It is really really important because later we're going to talk about why some kinds of therapies don't really work that well for trauma and part of the reason is because these symptoms are not accessible to language also The way all of this occurs is in our hormones, in the structure of our brain, and in our nervous system. So it's not like you can decide or not decide for any of these things to happen. And because of that, this changes the way that we relate to ourselves and our body and other people your body was once something you were interested in and really enjoyed feeling and maybe you exercised or practiced yoga or, or just like enjoyed being in your body and now the body is not a safe place anymore. There isn't the same pleasure in having a body. Or if the trauma happened when you were young which we're going to talk about. The body's never been a place to turn to for trust. And this, these are important things to remember because if you're someone who hasn't had this experience, you might, be, you might easily be able to say, oh, the body is a place I come home to and I feel warm and safe. But like for somebody else, the opposite is true. The body isn't a place that feels. And then that affects how you eat. Because if the body isn't something that's like a a temple for you to treat as sacred, then um, it doesn't really matter what you eat and what choices you make around nutrition and whether you exercise or... When you can't feel or acknowledge that you have been traumatized, you tend to then reinforce trauma cycles. But you can't see it. you say that again, yeah, please. Well, I mean, it, it, actually, you could say that about anything, right? It's like when you don't recognize what's happening, <laughs> you, you just keep reinforcing it. Are there any questions before I keep going? Or because I'm going to go through all of those points now in more detail. What's a trauma cycle? What do you mean by that? Um, what happened? These cycles of uh, fear. Dissociation, shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can you can you add guilt to shame? What's that? Can you add guilt? When I talk about shame, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the difference between guilt and shame. Um. um yeah. So just with trauma, um, is it like a scale that you can be more or less traumatized? Totally. Like more? You can be more or less traumatized. Okay. Yeah. Also. Let me tell you my theory about trauma. (laughs) Just to go, just like a quick, how I understand trauma. And this isn't maybe like psychological theory, but just what I see in people and in my own experience is that trauma is like an event that's happened to your senses, but hasn't yet been experienced. That's how I think about trauma. I don't think that's like a technical definition of trauma, but that's what I notice, it's like an event has happened to your body has happened in your life, but you haven't experienced it yet because you've dissociated so, so it's like um, something, something has happened to you you've had to split that out of consciousness mm-hmm. in order to have some kind of homeostasis so you haven't really experienced it yet. And, and the, the job of meditative practice, the job of being in relationship with a therapist, the job of, of healing from trauma, is to slowly find ways to experience the event that has never been experienced, even though it's happened. Does that, does that make sense? So in a way, the symptoms of trauma are actually an event looking for an experience the event wants to be experienced again so you could say the symptoms are an attempt to bring into consciousness like if you're looking at it really you know we always say symptoms in a negative way but the positive side of symptoms are like they're trying to bring an event back into experience And dissociation is trying to do the opposite. Because okay. yeah. I thought dissociation kind of was a symptom of the trauma. Right? Dissociation is a symptom of the trauma, so it has to be healed. And even though it's try- trying to do the opposite, the fact that it's a symptom... you See, g- symptoms are great, mm-hmm. because they show you exactly where the trouble is. Because mm-hmm. right. it's a way of trying to heal. Yeah, you're trying to manage exactly. Exactly. That's why we always start from symptoms. Yeah. Because symptoms are really important because it's like, here, here's the problem. Yeah. Could you substitute the word reactivity there? For reactivity could be, yeah. could be a symptom. For sure. Yeah. You mentioned um, the physical body thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you had a mental trauma rather than a physical trauma, would that still be the case? I actually never separate those things. All symptoms are psychological and physical, all symptoms. You can't ever separate those things. Like, you look really closely at a physical symptom, and it has all kinds of psychological effects. You look really closely at a psychological symptom, it has all kinds of physiological manifestations. So let's just say psychophysical symptoms. And that's how I define, there's this great book called The Inner Tradition of Yoga. If you ever see it, you should get it. And in it, the way that I define samskara is psychophysical patterns. Because all patterns are both psychological and physical. And we can go further down that road, but I, I won't go too far down. There. It's a great book. <laughs> so in popular culture, the kind of experiences that we think of as traumatizing are um, extreme neglect, war, Uh, witnessing atrocity or witnessing violence being stabbed, being shot sexual violence but there's a whole other dimension of trauma that in popular culture really doesn't get uh, much attention and that is um, the caregiving environment feeling unloved, um, feeling inadequate uh, as a child, um, parents and caregivers who can't attune to our experience, Mm -hmm. um, or parents and... This is more likely. Parents and caregivers who are also traumatized themselves, who can't attune to a child's experience, or parents or caregivers who are ill or depressed who can't attune to a child's experience. And this is a really important point because sometimes we have this idea that someone's only traumatized if they've had some violent thing happen to them. But actually sometimes and, and people say, you know, I'm not traumatized, I've never had any trauma but actually you start to hear about the way there's been misattunement in the early kind of holding environment and um, there could be a lot of trauma there most of the time grandparents had parents who were traumatized and then the grandparents pass it on to the parents and then the parents pass it on to the child So if we're talking about trauma and you're like, yeah, my parents did this and you're in this like blame world a little bit, it's also really important to remember that it's probably not their fault. (laughs) So uh, number one, fear. The first response to emotional wounding is that we become really sensitive to danger. And this happens really deep in the body and mind. And then we start looking at the world and other people through this haze of distrust. And at the core is this kind of cry for help, which is you saying, I will never, ever again be re traumatized so that you avoid anything that brings you close to the sensations you felt when you were hurt. Anything that even comes close, you will avoid at all costs, no matter how irrational that might seem. And so at some level, we become control freaks, where you, you have to control your life and your behavior and what you do and who you see and how you do it. And again, as you said, I don't know if, somebody said, is there a spectrum? Mm -hmm. Like less traumatized? Yeah. At different levels, we have to control things Mm -hmm. out of this fear, but we don't see it. And then you have to distort, sorry, and then your beliefs become distorted because you think it's true. Well, your your beliefs about the world and who you are start to change because you think what you think is true. You see? And that's what I mean, like it's not just this physical symptom of fear, it has this psychological component too of like needing to control things. And so like one end of the spectrum could be just like around body image or like people who like have addiction to exercise and you know, these like or like super clean apartments, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's a kind of control also, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's a really good point. What a really yeah. clean apartment Well, I mean, there's a way to have a clean apartment and be relaxed about it and enjoy the kind of minimalism of like and there's a way of having a clean apartment that is trying to control your environment so much. Because you feel unsafe yes but you don't know that it's not it's unconscious maybe once you lost a caregiver or they walked out on you or you were abandoned in some way and then you develop this unconscious belief that uh, you're not lovable so then you have to somehow control your life maybe one way of controlling things is um not letting anyone ever get too close like you have this kind of spatial or like emotional awareness of how close somebody is allowed to get and nobody can cross that line so that's another way of keeping your apartment organized like the apartment of your heart And why do you do this? Because of fear. There's no way you're going to take the risk of loving again. Because what might happen? You might lose the person. So every person might have a different manifestation of this trauma world they live in. And the point around fear that's, you know, Maybe the most troubling is that it creates intense loneliness and separateness. And the body becomes really good at maintaining this inner world of separateness. And it's a lot like riding a bicycle. When you ride a bicycle, you learn all the steps and then you start riding a bicycle, but you forgot all the steps, right? You don't remember all the things you did to be able to learn how to ride a bicycle. So likewise, you develop a false self or this kind of half-shell version of you. And you forgot how you got from stage to stage. And you didn't do this. Again, you didn't do this. It's like it's biological. It's unconscious. You didn't do this so this leads to the second um, aspect of trauma which is dissociation part of the mammalian defense system is to split to split to split something out of consciousness and so what i want to just bring your attention to is even as i'm speaking right now Just notice, if, as I'm speaking, if this starts to touch anything emotional in you, how there will be a tendency to split. Even if it's just like, oh, I'm not paying attention anymore. I've I've gone off. So think about, you know, when someone that you depend on Uh, can't tolerate some aspect of who you are. Maybe your sexuality, maybe your ambition, maybe your anger, maybe your body type, maybe the way your body moves, or your ability. So you have to split off a part of yourself to maintain a relationship with them. You love your caregiver so much but they can't tolerate some part of who you are so you have to get rid of that you have to split that off so that you can keep up your relationship with them so you cut off a part of yourself but remember it's not conscious bicycle riding it's you forget the stages of how you did that like if i ask you right now to think about like Things you had to hide from your family. Probably you can't remember all the pieces of how you came to do that. Maybe one or two you remember. And then you build your, li- your life around this new self. And sometimes it's not um, one thing we cut off, sometimes it's just like all the emotions. You just numb. And I always like to remind meditators that when you numb negative emotions, you end up numbing also positive emotions. Like numbing is numbing. If you learn how to numb any kind of emotion, you just learn numbing. And it affects the whole emotional sphere. If you try to dull down one emotion, you dull all of them down. And then your life starts feeling flat. And then we start feeling less human. And then we start saying to ourselves, there's something wrong with me. Donald Trump usually calls me at this time of the day. Get some feedback about the campaign. The point that I think is really important for those of us who are coming from the perspective of you know, being a yogi who's engaged in their lives, is that when you cut off your emotions you, you cut off the way that you connect with the world you cut off the way you connect with the world and why this is such a loss is that our emotions give us so much information they give us a lot of intelligence you've heard Daniel Goleman's Um, phrase emotional intelligence our emotions give us so much information that we need and if you have no access to your emotions, it's not that you don't have emotions, it's you don't have access to them anymore, and if you don't have access to your emotions, it's really hard to make good decisions how can you make how can you make skillful calls about what to do or what moves to make if you don't have access to, like, a healthy emotional um, landscape. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you might not accurately feel danger or you might not accurately feel trust. So you might make poor decisions. Maybe you've been in... um, a romantic relationship with someone who is like this—has anyone ever been in a relationship with someone and they like make decisions that you can't understand, and then you get dumped, <laughs> and then you try and process it with them, and then you realize they don't even understand? Have you ever had, that? or even like a friendship, maybe, with someone and they like did really strange things? And then you realize, oh, my God, they, de- they don't even understand what they're doing. I don't know if this is included in what you just said, but there's also the other side of the spectrum where actually too much emotions can cloud your judgment. hmm You don't know how to um, monitor or balance them. No, so that you actually end up in the wrong relationship just for that reason. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. But you did, you said, you know, a healthy relationship to emotions, I guess, that goes both ways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. So the the third characteristic of um, trauma is shame. Uh, Shame is when you feel uh, fundamentally inadequate. Uh, Guilt is when you feel badly about the things that you've done. And shame is when you feel bad about who you are. So guilt is when you, you, you've taken an action and you feel badly about it. But shame is when you're feeling badly about who you think you are. So guilt is about action and shame is about being. <coughs> Do you understand that distinction? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So shame is very similar to critical self-thought, to self-judgment. But it's beneath thought. It's like in the realm of feeling something about yourself. Not just talking to yourself about yourself. Do you understand that? So like with self you can have self-judgment with not that much shame. I don't get that at all. Yeah. Like you can have self-judgment where there's like a lot of like or there's some negative conversation you have to yourself. Mm But with shame, there's like just this deeper felt sense that somehow you're a bad person. It's not always like you judging yourself. It could just be a sense that at the core you're bad. It's like one step beyond self-judgment. Because it, it, it happens as a feeling about your being. A sense of your being. Rather just, you know, I'm fat. It's not just I'm fat, it's that... I'm a bad person because of that. Is that only because of trauma? Or is that, or can that come from the Well, what would the other things be? I would put that in the category of trauma. It, 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 like, it's not. Yeah, I, I would say that these are ways of thinking about the symptoms of trauma. That whole oh, sorry. yeah, um, I'm, I'm fat, I'm bad because the fat. Is that an unconscious? I'm the i bad bit, the I'm fat bit you can imagine you're thinking, but the I'm bad, therefore I'm fat thing, is that like unconscious? You're not re- you're not really noticing that, correct? I mean. yeah, 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 So you, could you know, like this thing with, uh, um. Girls now about uh, like their inner thighs not touching or whatever. What's it called? (laughs) Thigh gap, which is probably like I don't know that much about this, but (laughs) it's probably the hardest place in your body to lose weight. I would think. Like it's meant to be that. It's meant to be that. Okay. Yeah. And so you can be obsessed with that for you know four years of school at a certain age, with all your friends, or whatever. And it can torture you, right? But there's still one more step, which is feeling that at the core, because of that, you're a terrible person. Somebody might be obsessed with thigh gap, but not have this sensibility that they're a terrible person. They would just have this sense that, like, their body is not the body they're supposed to have, you see? So it's a spectrum, you see. It's a spectrum. Yeah. I don't. I don't think any of us can actually like map out exactly where it crosses over into into shame. Is this making sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thigh gap. <laughs> <laughs> How do I you know these. Things? How do I know these things? Know this, How does anyone know these things? <laughs> <laughs> hang out with young people. So do you think some? Do you think people know that they? Like, because it's, I find it's easy to notice um, disassociation and fear. That's quite an easier thing to notice you do it. But shame seems so. Um,
1: maybe not. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah maybe not. But it might just be a feeling of not, not being good enough in some way or Yeah. I mean, let's remember too that shame is a passing emotion in every one of us. Every one of us feels some shame. It's healthy have all of these emotions be able to pass through us from time to time in our lives, mm-hmm. right? But I'm talking about the shame that becomes dominant, like it's the filter that you're seeing yourself through all the time. Yes. Was there another hand up? Then yeah. that just goes to the step of self-punishment and yeah. self-violence. Yep. yep, And it's reinforced by that whole culture that we've been brought up in, the religious foundation yep. as well, yep. the original sin, and all that. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So yep. if you're um, saying that shame is an emotion, but can you, you link it back to what we were talking about yesterday—the mm-hmm. mental states—that and that you can, that they're not permanent, that you can hold them lightly. I mean, how does that? Oh, okay, so, so what's the difference between a passing emotion and the shame that's associated yes. with trauma? Is very simple, is that in trauma, the shame that arises is something you can't get out of. Okay. You can't get out of it. You can't get outside of it. Yeah. You become the object of your own negativity you can't kind of get out of it and so you're forcing yourself to become more perfect you have to force yourself to become more perfect all the time because you're not and I mean we're not going to get into it but this is such an interesting lens to look at the yoga community with Mm, like really really interesting yeah but we're not going to get into that right now Yes? Uh, is shame particular to, it seems to me that like shame would be particular to certain kinds of trauma, mm-hmm. like there's the trauma of like a freak accident or something, yeah. mm-hmm. where you have the fear yeah. and the dissociation, yeah. but maybe you don't but maybe have the shame, have a shame. Yeah. or it could be any combination. Yeah, but it depends. I mean, you could have the freak accident and then because of the environment that Mm -hmm. you're working with, you can have shame around it that, wow, look at everybody else. They're, Mm -hmm. you know, they can go drive the ambulance again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They can go, you know, they can go back into the emergency room, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and because of that, I'm a terrible person, Mm -hmm. so... It's, again, it's really different for everyone. You can't make these like direct links, like this kind of trauma creates this kind of symptom. It's so different for everyone. But these three characteristics, in terms of just like understanding the symptoms, are really, really important. Fear, dissociation, shame. Um, the worst part of shame is that it really... Poisons our relationships with other people. Because if we don't trust ourselves, we don't know what we feel, and we think at the bottom we're bad, how can we love other people? And how can they love us because well, we don't understand what they love? What could they possibly love? And if we're scared, um, of someone getting to know us, we might tell our, ourselves stories that are not true, like we're going to be left, or we're going to be attacked, or we're going to be judged again. So we push people away, or sometimes instead of pushing people away, we manipulate them. <laughs> <laughs> or both but let's remember again we're not conscious of this it's semi-conscious or unconscious mm-hmm. yeah. I've this in people and I um, it's not like they've come from like bad parents who've shown signs of trauma yeah. so I don't understand how that can become so Let's undo our assumption about what we think is trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, you might say, we don't come from bad parents that ha- where there's been abuse or whatever, but you don't know what that environment was like. Mm-hmm. And probably as you start to learn more about it, you can see how... Like, these symptoms don't come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Someone who, 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 who's a manipulator all the time, you might like learn about their child or they might say oh I had a fine childhood you know but like there's a reason why somebody's manipulating all the time or lying all the time so we have to like and that's what I'm trying to say is like I think in our culture we've had this idea of like trauma is just violent things happening but trauma also has is very much related to attunement especially in our early years Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so does that then answer why in one family you can get different people having different responses to the trauma? Different responses to the trauma, different kinds of trauma, so and also. Someone who's very manipulative and someone who really isn't. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Also, think mean? about well, think about there's one more kind of dimension of that is think about let's say you're in a family with a lot of kids and the kids were spaced out over several years. Let's say there's five kids in the family. So the parents who gave birth to the youngest kid, by the time they're at the fifth kid, they're completely different people. And the holding environment is completely different. You can have parents that were not present at all for the first kid and are so present for the second kid. Or you you can have a a, a father who's really hot, hot tempered. And by the time they get to the fourth kid, they're just so chill, or maybe they're just old, <laughs> or both. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? It's like even in one family, like the way the parents are. And let's remember that when we talk about the holding environment, this is also an important thing. And you know, I think I've also I've often thought that I'm getting on a tangent here. But one of the things I used to feel when we studied psychology, when I studied psychology in school is there was so much focus on the parents. And I used to always think, why aren't we talking about siblings? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like the sibling is often spending more time with the kid than the parents. right? So also thinking about the siblings here. Too. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I, I've got three children. There's a 12-year... Age gap between the oldest and the youngest. Yeah. And um, I mean, yeah, I can see it in myself. I can see it in my husband. My husband is just totally different with the, well, yeah. you know, you know how he dealt with, deals with my daughter. Yeah. This one. And he, yeah. And then there's the sort of girl-boy thing as well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you said girl-boy thing. I mean, think about all the trouble that happens because of how somebody is related to as a gender Mm -hmm. and the assumptions about gender and what kind of strange attunements happen around that also is really so interesting Mm -hmm. so let me just sum up uh, so far so around shame we're not conscious of it we didn't do it um And the point, or, 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 sorry, the point, the reason why this creates dukkha, the reason why this creates suffering, is because we end up not having real relationships. And so deep down, we feel isolated. Or we just think that all relationships are not real. I'll just share one personal story is that um, my father comes from, um, my father was born in Poland um, at the end of the war. Um, My grandparents were in a concentration camp. Um, I have no family on my father's side. Like my grandparents, except for one cousin, are the only people who survived in that family. So they have no cousins, no relatives, and they saw everybody get murdered in their family, get taken away or get killed. So I have no relatives on my father's side. So when I was a kid and into my teenage years, oh, and so my father, who's now retired, doesn't have any friends, and he's never had friends. My mom has like this huge, and they're split up my mom has this huge network of friends my, my father has no friends and I was talking to my sister about this uh, recently and, and my brother oh, the, here's something interesting too, my brother and my sister and I are so tight mm-hmm. we're so close to each other, like my brother is my best friend so, well not all the time <laughs> <laughs> um. but what I wanted to share is that We were talking recently and I had this memory of how when I was younger, my dad used to always say, never get too close to anybody because they're gonna fuck you over. Mm -hmm. Those were his words. He would always say like, or he'd say they'd fuck you. He'd always say that, like, Mm -hmm. never get too close to a friend because the truth is like at the bottom, they're just gonna screw you over. And that's his worldview. And now he has like no feeling of a network and I think all of us know for people who retire and they don't have a community Mm. they don't know what to do with themselves Mm. their life starts to shrink really really quickly so um, I want to say more but I feel like we should have a little break Um, but 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 I've covered now the symptoms and then I want to talk about healing so this might seem a little bit like holy shit. <laughs> oh my god. Can we just start now? Yeah. Yeah. Like I gotta go out and get some cocaine <laughs> and like numb this a little bit, you know? Yeah. Or like everyone's gonna have a break and go like to Planet Organic, yeah, like a lot of chocolate. Whatever. <laughs> um, but you, but you know what? I actually. I actually just want to house this in an understanding, like this should soften our heart to feel like, wow, you know, I actually, from what Michael's saying, like, I actually really relate to some of these things. Like maybe that, that one thing doesn't operate so strongly, but it's a passing experience that I have, or it's something I've felt really strongly for a certain number of years. Or it's something I'm still struggling with. And that creates the <coughs> empathy that helps us see it in other people. That helps us see it in other people. Also. Can compassion after from your angel with your mother or your dad it's gone? Yeah, you know. Especially this unconscious thing that you said, it's biological. And isn't that a magnificent thing about being a human being? Like, we can like really empathize with another human being if we're open to contact. So remember what I said when we were meditating, like, contact and then experience. If you can't let yourself contact and have experience with what's arising, then when you have pain, emotions or afflictive emotions you can't let yourself feel them and then you can't relate to them in other people you know and then when other people show their wounds you can't stand them you know even like minor versions you can't stand them But when you know what that feels like in yourself, that actually can connect you. And that's the first noble truth. That's the foundation of the Buddha's teaching. Is opening to suffering. Opening to suffering. Why? As Norman Fisher said in his article, when you can contact your suffering, then you can relate to other people's suffering. And that's a really good thing. That's a really good thing because it makes us happy isn't that so strange I I I was listening to this interview and this man said uh, something really interesting like he was talking about Catholicism and and why why he's so connected to prayer and God and he said that his connection to God is both through prayer and through the fragility of other human beings. That the real path to God is being open to the fragility of other human beings. I thought that was so beautiful. Like, to me, that's like what Jesus taught, right? So, let's end on the Catholic. Note, <laughs> and um, we'll take a 15-minute break.